we turn to our text tonight, let me say just a few things regarding uh, the message. I, I want to say something that I'm sure that everyone here would agree with, and that is that life is difficult. Anybody want to argue with that? Nope, I didn't think so. We all feel the same way about that. Life is difficult. Even though life, even when it's good, you know, whenever everything is, seems to be going good, uh, it, there, there are always difficulties facing us. And the result of those difficulties is the fact that we all need help. There's no one here that, that is trouble-free. There is no one here that doesn't need help. Uh, God designed us that we need one another. God, in fact, designed us so that we need Him. It's, you know, just we need one another, but that's good only to a certain extent. So as we face our struggles, we need a strength that that is far greater than what we can muster up from within us. The question is, is where in the world do we find that strength that we need to, to keep going? Where, where do we find the, the strength to uh, motor on when we feel like quitting, the, the strength to uh, fulfill our responsibilities and not complain about it and so forth? Well, uh, before I give you the answer, let me give you the ain'ts. Or to be, to be grammatically correct, let me say it isn't found in knowledge. You've heard people say knowledge is power. And by the way, that's true to an extent. Knowledge is power. We need knowledge. God said my people perish for a lack of knowledge. Knowledge is absolutely essential to our well-being. But we can have we can excel whenever it comes to this matter of knowledge, know all of the, the facts. And when I say facts, I'm talking about even the, the Bible facts. And we can be ever so correct or orthodox in our doctrine and yet, and yet lack the strength that we need to do what God would have us to do. So we need more than knowledge. In fact, the Bible says knowledge puffeth up. It makes us think more highly of ourselves than what we should and be better to be a dummy, you know, and uh, have a humble spirit than to be extremely intelligent and think you know more than anybody else. So it's not in knowledge, nor is it found in self-confidence. There are seminars and workshops going on all of the time devoted to helping people create a better self-image. Now, that might make you feel better about yourself. In fact, they would teach you you, you need to love yourself, uh, you need to value yourself, and, and, of course, they'll pump it into your mind. If you can think it, you can do it, you know. If you can, if you can believe it, you can see it, and all, all of that stuff. And so uh, they, they go through all of these workshops trying to create more self-confidence. People go to sleep at night listening to, uh, listening to tapes and things of that nature, trying to generate something within them that will give them the strength that they need uh, by creating this confidence in themselves. But that's not the answer. And the answer is not in change, by the way, because some people have the idea 
Well, you know, if I'm going, if I'm going to be able to really uh, find the strength that I need to get through all of the difficulties of life, I've got to change jobs. I just can't get where I want to go as long as I'm tied down to this job where I'm at because it's like, a, it's like an anchor that's holding me back. Or, or maybe I need to move to a new location. Or maybe I need to meet a new circle of friends. And the list goes on and on and on of, of changing things that, you know, I'm not happy where I'm at. I'm not able to succeed. I'm not able to become what, what I ought to be. And so I, I, I just need a change. But let me tell you right now, you're not going to find what you need just by making changes in your life. You better be careful about making changes in your life and not run ahead of God and try to kick down and make doors of opportunity for yourself. God has a way of working all of that stuff out. And we, Bev and I just just heard a marvelous testimony of that uh, a few minutes ago. And I won't go into that, that detail, but the way that God works in the lives of people, we don't even know what's going on, and yet He's doing all of this stuff. And so we better let God be the one to make the changes in our life. So where do we find the strength that we need? Well, you might have already guessed where I'm going, Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10. I just want to read this one verse here and uh, then make a few comments on it and uh, get right to the point. Verse 10, Nehemiah chapter 8, And then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is one of those verses that I, I think, unintentionally mention over and over and over again. But that being said, I always feel that people do not give it the consideration that it deserves. I feel that way right now. Uh, I really feel if people would really be honest, there's some you know, shrugging their shoulders, say, oh, well, I've heard that before. Hey, well, well why is he, here he goes again talking about that, you know. And, uh, and, and a lot of times, even though we know that maybe this is problematic in our life, we get the impression that the absence of joy is really not any big deal. I mean, uh, unless it relates to our personal happiness, you know, and other than that, we don't see it as a serious spiritual problem. But let me assure you that it is a spiritual problem. It's an indication that something is terribly wrong in our life. And, and if you think I'm overstating that, if you think I'm being too dramatic about that, you're the very person I'm talking about. The person that... Oh, yeah, I'd like to be happy. I'd like to, you know, have my heart full of joy all of the time and so forth. But, you know, we're just human and life is hard. And I've got, I've got a list of good excuses why I'm not as happy as you think I ought to be. Well, look, I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm not trying to, uh, I'm not trying to debate you about the issue. I just want you to get what you need. 
And, and I say that because God's more concerned about it than I am. And I'll tell you something, pretending that you are a joyful Christian isn't the answer. Anybody can pretend. You know, I, I, I'm... I've listen. I've been in some church services where there where there were a lot of pretenders, a lot of pretense going on. That's in my estimation. I realize, like Bev put in the bulletin this morning, we can't always judge the motives of others and what have you. But man, I mean, whatever you can think of that's happened in a church, I've seen just about everything. I've seen them hang from the rafters, run on top of the pews and roll in the floor and run around the building. And when I say run around the building, I'm talking about all the time the preacher was preaching, they were running in good shape physically. It had to be. I I couldn't have made it two laps around the building. They just kept running. I, I thought, how in the world does that not distract that preacher? I mean, you're up there preaching. Here comes this old boy going again and, and stuff like that. Pretending you are a joyful Christian doesn't make you a joyful Christian. We can shout the rafters down and on the inside be as dead and dull as a hammer. And in fact, I think really the pretense only makes us more miserable. You know what I mean? Have you, you know, we all know whenever we get to church, we're supposed to be nice and kind and and joyful and whatever. You know, we all know that's the way we're supposed to be. But uh, sometimes, you know, it's you just kind of have to force the smile. <laughs> sometimes you just have to make yourself be nice and, and and you feel like a hypocrite on the inside like you know well I shouldn't feel that way about this or or maybe you're really angry about something and so you're trying to pretend like you're not mad but you know you are and it just makes you feel guilty on the inside well when you think about pretending that you're a joyful Christian it tells me that you know that you ought to be, but you ain't, and you're pretending so nobody else will know it, but you know it, and your conscience is bothering you, and it makes you absolutely miserable. So let's talk about this tonight. I don't know of any parent that wants their children to live in misery. I don't know any parents who want their kids to be unhappy, Right? That, that's why we tend to spoil them if we can, get them things they really don't need so they'll shut up about it and be happy about it and what have you. Well, you know, we do it for all of the wrong reasons, but listen, God is the perfect Father. And let me tell you, God wants His children to be joyful. He, he doesn't want us to go around with the mully grubs all of the time and... Uh, and and to be depressed, God desires for each and every one of us joy unspeakable and full of glory, and 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 He is grieved if we if we don't think about that to grieve to hurt the heart of God as a result of not having the joy that He has provided, 
And, and if we're the least bit concerned about God's will for our life, you know, it's easy to say, boy, boy, more than anything in all of the world, I just want the will of God to be done. Lord, I'm willing to go to Africa as a missionary. I'll work in the orphanage. I'll do this. I'll do that. Lord, I just want your will to be done. I'll give the tithe. I'll attend church every week. I'll read my Bible every day. I just want your will to be done. But when it comes to the matter of being a joyful Christian, it's like we don't care what God wants. We're not near as serious about the will of God as we act like we are sometimes. Because if we are, we will be concerned about a lack of joy in our life. Now, I wish I had time to give you all of the details about Nehemiah's words. This is really difficult for me to just read this and go on. And you ought to read the whole book. It's so exciting, but especially this chapter and to find out what is going on. But let me just kind of sum it up for you so you'll get the picture. Um, the people have returned from captivity. Now, that's something to get excited about, right? I mean, they have returned from captivity. They've been under the iron heel of the Babylonians, and now they have been set free. They're back in their land. They've been able to rebuild the temple. They've been able to, uh, to rebuild the walls now. And so they, here they are back where they can worship their God in a place of security. They have just had a public reading of the law. Y'all, whenever you get home, read the first part of this chapter here. And Ezra got them all up and made a pulpit of wood, and he read the read the word of God, and the people were attentive. And so this is a glorious time of celebration. And I want you to notice that three times in three verses, right there all together, three times in those three verses, Nehemiah said to the people, "This day is holy." This day is holy. It was a special day, a special time in their life. He says, you know, put away all of your sorrow. Let, let me tell you, we ought to think of the Lord's Day as being a glad day. Every Lord's Day, it's, it, ought, it ought to be a celebration. We are celebrating a resurrected Savior. Think about where we would be were it not for the fact that Christ not only died on the cross, but arose from the grave. And we are here to celebrate that. And we don't get near as excited about it as we ought to. This ought to be a glad day. In fact, every day ought to be a glad day for the Christian. But especially when we meet on the Lord's Day, it ought to be a time of rejoicing. Amen. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's not in any of those things that I've already mentioned. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now I want you to think about three things and I'll be through. Number one, the reason for it. Well, I could sum it all up just saying Christ. He, he's the reason for our joy, right? I mean, that's, that's putting, putting it all in one word. Without Him, there wouldn't be any joy. But we need to, I think, even look beyond that. And it's why I say so many times that that the key to you and I living victoriously for, is for us to live in the light of, of the person and work of Jesus Christ and who we are and what we have as a result of that. Amen. Who we are and what we have. 
So when I think about the reason for my joy, uh, I need to stop and think about what I have in Christ. Well, forgiveness, how about that? We have forgiveness. Wow, that, I think I talked about that some last week, but we ought to talk about that every week to think about our sins have been forgiven. Not only our sins have been forgiven, we've been accepted by the Lord. Think about being accepted into God's family. It'd be one thing, you know, if God said, "Look, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to spare you the torment of hell, and uh, and I'm going to even let you into into heaven, but uh, you know, I just don't, I just don't want you to be a part of my family. Wouldn't that be awful? I'm glad that He accepts us into His family. He becomes our Father." And then there is the freedom from the power of sin over us. As Christians, you and I do not have to live in captivity to sin, even here on this earth. We don't sin because we have to. We sin because we desire to. It's that lust within, as James said. And then we ought to have joy because of the transformation of our character, that He doesn't leave us as He finds us. He changes us. Thank God for that. Every saved person has been changed in some way to some extent. And like the kids saying, you know, he's still working on me. And indeed he is. And he's going to be working on us until the day that we die. And we ought to be joyful Christians because of the transformation of our character, because of the deliverance from hell, because of the assurance of heaven, because of the exceeding great and precious promises that God has given us. You see... A Christian is never without a reason to rejoice, never, regardless of what happens. And if we're going to be a joyful Christian, whatever it is that we're going through, we've got to take the time to stop and to count our blessings and to think about that thing or those things that, that, that are reason to rejoice. And I'm telling you right now, the responsibility is on your shoulder, and I'll talk about that in just a minute. You know, it's not it's not up to the circumstances around us. Well, you know, if I if I just had better health, you know, then I would have I'd have joy in my heart. Really, well, we'd all feel better if we felt better, right? Sure, we would. We'd all feel better if we felt better. But we can be a joyful Christian even even if we're going through excruciating pain, even though our friends forsake us, even though there are great difficulties facing us, we can still be a joyful Christian. Why? Because these things I've just mentioned, the things that we have as a result of being in Christ, those things never change. They're constant year after year and century after century. They never change. And uh, so we always have that reason to rejoice. Well, then there's the result, the result of this joy. Well, he tells us what it is. Notice the joy of the Lord is your strength. Boy, we sure need that. We need joy for the sake of our Christian service. You know, God not only expects us to serve Him, but He expects us to serve Him joyfully. Let me show you how important that is. Turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter number 28 and verse number 47. Because a lot of times we just think, well, you know, if I do the right thing, it doesn't make any difference what my attitude about it is. 
I mean, I did my duty. I did what I was supposed to do. But notice what he says here. Verse 47, Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. Wow. Now, boy, you better hang on. There's, there is a scathing rebuke and a stern warning coming to this nation. Judgment is about to fall upon them. And if you don't believe it, go home and read the book of Lamentations. The great sorrow that came upon that nation as a result of their sin against God. And right here, he's telling you what was wrong. This is what the problem was. They served him not with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things and therefore thou shalt serve thine enemies which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and thirst and nakedness and in want of all things and he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he have destroyed thee the Lord shall bring a nation against thee from afar from the end of the earth as swift as the eagle flieth a nation whose tongue thou shall not understand that's why I referred you to the book of lamentations because it was so bad when judgment came that the mothers were literally eating the flesh of their own children. You think it's bad now. I'm telling you what, it can get a whole lot worse than what it is. And to think about, look, this is an indictment from God against them. And he didn't say, look, I'm going to do this because you haven't served me. He didn't say that. He said, you haven't served me with joy with joy and gladness of heart. And if you read the book of Malachi, you'll see that those people hadn't, that they didn't stop worshiping God. They didn't renounce, uh, uh, you know, their trust in the Lord or anything like that. They just treated God like a junk dealer. Bev had a good article in the bulletin about that, you know, giving God the leftovers in our life. That describes exactly what they were doing. They were giving God the leftovers. And he said, I don't want any of that. He called their music noise in his ear. Get that out of here. Look, they were singing the same thing they had been singing. And what they, what the words to what they had been singing, there wasn't anything wrong with the words. It was the attitude of their heart. And God said, I don't want to hear any of it. And you see, God will renounce all of our so-called efforts to worship Him when we don't do it in the right attitude. And if we're going to serve the Lord for any length of time, if we're going to stay in it for the long haul, we're going to have to do it with joy because that's where our strength comes from. There are a lot of times that that Christians will go year after year just by gritting their teeth and hanging on, you know, just, boy, I've got to do this. It's my responsibility. I'm a Christian, and God gave me this Sunday school class, and I've got to be there and so forth. And, and you just go through it hanging on, but all of the time that bitterness on the inside is is building up within you. And finally there comes a day that you say to yourself, man, I've had all of this that I want. I you know, the first year when I started preaching, I, pro I would have told you I've never been tempted to quit. And I, I've heard so many young preachers say that. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I've never been tempted to quit. Well, just hang around, buddy. Your time's coming because the time will come. You'll be thinking, you know, I, maybe I ought to just go ahead and, and, 
and resign or retire or something, you know, because I don't want, uh, you know, I, I've had enough of this. And anybody that tells you that they've been in the ministry any length of time and never wanted to quit is probably lying to you. And, and let me tell you, that's, I'm not talking just about preachers. I'm talking about uh, folks, the, uh, the, uh, the, what some would refer to as the lay members of the church and, you know, the people that don't hold any particular office in the church or anything. And, and sometimes we all get there to where we, something really upsets our apple cart. Something really hurts us. And we, we just want to throw in the towel and just forget this. I, I, I've been hurt for the last time. I'm going to protect myself. I'm getting out of church. I'm going to build a wall around me. I'm not going to let anybody get close enough to me that they're going to hurt me again. You'd be surprised how many empty chairs there are right here tonight because of people that have done that exact same thing. And I'm telling you, there's only one thing that will really keep you going through the thick and the thin, and that's the strength derived from the joy of the Lord. It's your strength for Christian service. It's your strength against temptation, by the way. Because as long as we live, there are going to be temptations. We'll never be able to live a day on this earth without temptations. And it's the joy of the Lord that enables us to be strong enough to say no to those temptations. I could talk about that for a long time. Whenever I, this week as I was thinking about the message tonight, and I thought, you know, I, I've, I've preached the entire series. I'm talking about eight or ten weeks in a row on the subject of joy. And we could just, you know, pick it apart and look at all of these details related to the matter of joy but I, I thought, yeah, I don't, I don't even want to see any of my notes. I don't want to consult anything that I've ever done before. I just want to speak to you from my heart, and that's what I'm trying to do. And this morning, and I'll read it in just a minute, this morning I, I see why God was working to, uh, leading me to do that very thing. If we're going to overcome temptation, we have to have joy. If we're going to endure the struggle, we have to have joy because we're going to face many hard trials in our life. Not only that, but we need the joy of the Lord as a witness to others. I mean, how can we expect others to believe, you know, that God is able uh, if we don't demonstrate it in our life? This morning, uh, I received this testimony. You don't know this person, but you will in a moment. Owen D. Key. It's Owen D. Key's testimony. So happened this is a 16-year-old boy who's in heaven now, been there a long time now. This was Brother Ron Farr's cousin. And as I understand it, uh, Ron's, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that later on, but this, this was received by Ron's dad. They had gone there to visit with this cousin, I think, and, and this, this is the testimony. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always again. 
I will say rejoice. Let all of the men, men know through your know your forbearance. The Lord is at hand. Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything but prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, that's another section of some of my favorite verses that have not only, you know, blessed me, but helped me through really difficult times. He goes on. If in my affliction God will use me, I am happy. If God wills it and I am healed by a miracle wrought by His hand, the glory and praise that I can give Him will never be enough. And if it is not His will that I am healed, I know His reasons are far greater than my understanding, and I will still rejoice in the Lord always." I need not have any anxiety about anything because God is with me at all times. He took over when I was only eight years old, and medical science had failed to find a cure for me. I had an incurable kidney disease which led the doctors to believe that I would die within a year. But somehow, I couldn't believe that any man could decide for God at what time I should die. I had not surrendered to Christ, but there was always a strange pulling in God's direction that I never quite understood. After 17 successful operations, four or five years went by and I was still alive and very active. I began to think that I could direct my own life without God's help. I soon found out how wrong I was. Just one month before I was 16, I was in an automobile accident which resulted in a broken neck and left me paralyzed. Since the accident in October, on October the 8th, 1954, until this day, I have had time to weigh the power of God against the power of man. In these past four years, many complications have arisen that would have meant death for me. Several times God pulled me out of the shadow of death, but it was only in the month of February 1958 that I finally surrendered and accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Though I've been bedfast for a year, the peace of God is in me and I thank God for the thorn in my side. As long as it can be used to bring lost souls and Christians who have strayed to the cross, God grant that my voice on this tape be instrumental in leading someone to make the decision for our Lord. That so impacted Brother Ron's dad, who up until then... Uh, wasn't a church-going sort of a guy, but whenever he, after that visit and this message, he, uh, he took the family to church. And although it was later that Brother Ron was saved, it was a result of, of God working through this 16-year-old kid who died shortly after this, by the way, and... Uh, and, and that's what I'm saying. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's not only the joy 
the strength that you need for service and the strength you need to resist temptation and the strength that you need for endurance in your trials, it's the strength you need to have an effective witness to other people. I'll guarantee you that would not have happened if that kid had laid there whining and complaining and bitter at God that this isn't fair. I'm just a young person. It's not fair. The other kids can get up and go and they can do this and that and look at me. I hate God. I just don't think it's fair of God to let that happen. Let me tell you, your joy is more important than you can even begin to imagine because there are others looking and they need that witness that you can give. They need the inspiration that comes from it. You know, there are good Christian people here that love the Lord with all of their heart and they're fighting the same struggles you are. And, and, and you know, there's just not hardly anything like being in the company of somebody that has a heart full of joy. It's contagious. It really is. I mean, it's like, you, boy, how, how, how can you feel bad being, being with, you know, people like that? Other people need for you to be a joyful Christian as much as you need it. Now, one other thing. The joy of the Lord is your strength, and we need to understand that this is our responsibility. Were I to ask you, how serious are you about your responsibility? I think about everybody said, well, I'm very sure I take that serious. That, that's a reflection on my character. I take it serious. Well, I mean, your, your responsibility to God. Well, yeah, I take that even more serious. My responsibility to God is more important and more serious than my responsibility to my employer uh, and so forth. Well, wh what about when it comes to this matter of joy? Because a lot of times we say I'm serious about doing God's will and my responsibility, but somehow joy gets left off of the list and the preacher preaches about it or the Sunday school teacher teaches about the joy of the Lord is your strength and we just act like, yeah, I know, but I, yeah, we, we all need to be more happy and we always drag somebody else into it and try to excuse our lack of joy by saying, oh, but preacher, if you just knew the troubles I was going through and we've always got some kind of an excuse, but when it comes right down to it, listen, God doesn't give us an option it's an obligation. Philippians 4.4, 4, where that young man quoted, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. That's an obligation that we have. And if we're not fulfilling that obligation, it's, it's an indication that there is something amiss in our life. You know, if, if the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, if that's included in the fruit of the Spirit, and it is, and it's not there. You've heard me, I know, say many times, if somebody got up and confessed, well, boy, I'm a Christian, but I don't love anybody. <laughs> yeah, there's some folks, that they ought to just go ahead and say it because that's the way they act. But, but we'd all say, boy, you got a problem. But, Whenever somebody says, I'm a Christian, but uh, I don't have an ounce of joy in my life, and we act like, well, that's okay. No, it's not okay. It's your responsibility to do what's necessary in order to be 
a joyful Christian. Let me share with you another verse, and then I'm going to be through a verse that has meant so much to me, the book of Habakkuk. Over in the Old Testament, I don't know what page number it is, but it's over in the Old Testament somewhere. Just Habakkuk chapter 3 in verse 17. And I say this is important because of the fact that uh, something happened years ago that made this, this section stick with me over the years. I don't remember what I was preaching but during the course of the message, I read these verses right here. Verse 17. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, and neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat, and the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. That's bankruptcy, folks. That's starvation. When everything is gone, notice, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And I got about there and all of a sudden we had a preacher by the name of Johnny Sanders sitting on about the second row over to my right. And it scared me to death. Johnny jumped up and started screaming and hollering like a Comanche, like a madman. I absolutely just rejoicing and thanking the Lord. And, and after the service, we, we, got, we got to talking and, uh, and about his response to those verses. And I certainly wasn't rebuking him. I was just hoping he'd wake some of the deacons up in there. But uh, I don't know whether it worked or not. But all of, those, all of those folks in the church up there basically depended upon cotton and soybeans. Most of our members, uh, the men, were farmers, raised cotton and soybeans. And boy, I'm telling you what, we had had, they had had a bad, bad year. Uh, they didn't know what they were going to do. And it just hit Brother Johnny as I was preaching and I mentioned those verses that it, that's all right. That's, God's still in control, and I'm not going to let all of this ruin my joy in the Lord because that's where my strength is to get me through this. And I'm telling you this evening, folks, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And we all need that, don't we? Because we've all got problems that we can't handle on our own. Let's stand. Father... How we thank you tonight for being willing and able to provide what we so desperately need. And Lord, we are such a weak people that even at our best, we are far too weak to be able to grapple with all of the difficulties of this old world. Far too weak to overcome the temptations that bombard us every day. Far too weak to overcome the disappointments and the sorrow that come our way. Far too weak to keep going in our service. And there's just too many things to stop us in our tracks. Were it not for you, Lord, we would fail at absolutely everything we do. And so help us to realize tonight the importance of the joy of the Lord being in our heart. And God, may, may we do absolutely whatever needs to be done to regain it if we've lost it. 
Make us strong, joyful Christians. And I pray that we might be a light in the night to somebody somewhere around us that they'll see what a great God you are as a result of the witness we bear. For we pray in Jesus' name. We're going to stand and